Hello everyone and welcome to She Begate the Podcast. I'm your host, Belun Tlemusimeche. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast. And if you're returning Brigada, welcome back. She Brigade is a podcast that celebrates and amplifies the stories of incredible and inspiring black female trailblazers. On the show, our guests share their life stories, the highs, the lows, and everything that has brought them to be who they are today. Today's guest is Ofenza Bizi. Ofenza is the first black South African woman to conduct and own an orchestra. She started playing her first instrument at the age of 12. Ofenza studied architecture as a way to combine her love of the arts with numbers, but she never let go of her love of music. Today, she is the owner of Anchored Sounds, an all-black symphony orchestra. In this episode, Ofenza shares how she took the leap from architecture to conducting and all the many, many challenges she faced along the way. Remember, we love to hear from you, so please engage with us on our social media at ShebeGate on all social media platforms or email us your feedback at info at shebegate.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast platform. So let's dive in. Offense, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Bello. I'm so excited to have you on and I'm so excited to get into this conversation. So on the yes. podcast, we like mm-hmm. to start at the beginning. All right. So I want you to take us all the way back to your childhood, you growing up, you in primary school, high school. Well, what was what was that part of your life like? Well, I grew up um, in Mabopane, right? And before growing up in Mabopane, I was born in Kharangkua. So um, if, you, if you know that area of, of, of Pretoria, you can understand, I, I would say, the, the environment and the socioeconomic issues, right? So it's a lot of, there were a lot of homes, you will find that single parent homes. So I was raised in a single parent mm-hmm. home and, you know, my, my, my mom um, created a very, did a very amazing job in ensuring that I have access to a lot of things. So even in the heart um, shifts of life or in, in the hardships of how I was raised, I always had a sketchbook, like, you know, because of her being a teacher, she would always make sure I have sketchbook, I have pencils, I have crayons that she would get from school. So my childhood was ca- quite colorful in that sense that I used to draw, I used to, um, you know, mm. create um, a lot of art or, uh, you know, draw cartoons. So I was I was dreaming and imagining things um, that I would see on TV um, and even, you know, what you love, you know, in the middle section of the the, the newspaper, the, yeah. the, the magazine. So that's the type of, you know, childhood I would, um, you know, I, 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 I got. And yeah. um, art was always a thing for me where I was constantly drawing. The first thing I would do in the morning when I would wake up in the weekends when there was no school, I would, um, draw so that was that so then um, moving from you know my childhood you went to primary school then went to art school and then um, the art school is actually the, my in my high school years GoPro Arts at Alton Park that's when I was um, exposed to a lot of art right more than what I thought I knew that that I got into mm-hmm. painting I got into visual arts and I also got introduced into architecture so the history of art included um, architecture as well and it also included a bit of music but at the time the mm-hmm. music back hadn't really hit me um, because even in me 
playing the instrument, playing the trumpet at church. It was just like, ah, oh, I'm just part of church. That's what we do. So it was never part of like a greater plan. Yeah. I just love doing it. You know, I just love going to rehearsals. I just love, um, you know, the challenge of knowing that, okay, next week Friday we are playing this tune. So I have to prepare for um, rehearsal or whatever. So I would say that's the type of childhood. Did you um, even, had. did you even like in your mind have an idea or like this could be a career? Um... Never. To be quite honest, never. Mm. To the point that, I mean, when I was labeled the first young black female conductor, I was shocked. I myself was shocked about that. And I literally had to go online. I was just like, actually, wait a minute. Let me let me just check these facts out because I think maybe whoever wrote this article had some big effects. And I was just like, what do you actually mean? <laughs> so there was never a point where I did my research. Yeah to look at um, who's at the forefront or anything like that. So I was as shocked as everyone else when they found out Khorade's offense she's doing this. I was just like, wow, intense. So it was never part of the plan. It really was never part of the plan. Wow. So what did you want to be when you were young? What did you want to be when you grew up? When I was young, I mean, I had various phases of wanting to be something. There was a time where I wanted to be a mermaid <laughs> because I was watching a lot of <laughs> <laughs> I was watching a lot of Disney and Kenneking. What is this? Kenneking. What the Little Mermaid was. Ah, the Little Mermaid was everything for mm. me as as a kid. So there was a time I literally was like, that that's just what I want to be. I just want to live in water for for. For a long time, you know, and then obviously then after that, I was just like, that's not really practical. Can't really do that. And then there was a time <laughs> where I wanted to um I wanted to be an artist, right? Um, and in me wanting to be an artist, it was a dream I held on to for a long time. And so my uncle was like, Okay, let's look at the practicality of you wanting to be an artist. And he's like, Do you know how much artists struggle and it was like what do you mean it's like artists you only really um survive of commission so if someone really buys your artwork um that's how you, you will be able to survive from month to month is that how you want to live i was just like shuck so then i was like okay then how can i use my love for art um into something that would sustain me and then the whole um chat and conversation about architecture came about i was like okay architecture basically is art and math in a way and i was like okay let's let's do it so i only decided on architecture uh i think the great the 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 end of grade 11. so that's 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 when i was like, okay i guess let's let's apply for architecture but before that there was never any pressure even for my mother to be like i want you to be a doctor you know i want you to be a lawyer so because of that mm. um i i i had a limitless ability to pick what i wanted to be wow that's so special that you're saying that yeah. like she didn't box you in or project any of her like what she what she wants onto you and like in like yeah which is what most parents i don't know do. i don't even have the words to describe it yeah exactly like it's, that's a very special thing to have as a child mm. so mm. okay so now you decide okay i'm gonna study architecture um yes. how was how was studying architecture like and also what was your first job out of varsity so studying architecture was extremely nothing prepared me for the difficulty of architecture because you know with other professions you have direction in the sense of you know if you study law 
there's more certain textbooks that you have to get through and you know um in order to understand what you're mm-hmm. doing if you study medicine um you 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 you, you know um your anatomy there's certain things that you study that you understand anatomy if you want to be um, an optometrist so with architecture there's no set this is what you do so you are constantly defending um ideas of what actually is possible so they can tell you that okay we are building um your project is low-cost housing okay low-cost housing where's the site the site is in guatemala so now you have to come up with the brief you have to come up with okay who are the people who live in Guatemala? So there's a lot of um, psychology, you know, sociology that goes into it. So there's a lot of um, you're on your own. You have to find your way with with architecture, and then after that, you bring whatever you find from, um, you know, having gone out and tried to find your way. You bring that back to um, your tutors or whatever and then they're like okay this is good this is not so good so um that was you know the the difficulty and hardships of architectures so most of the time you find that your tutors are like this is a bad idea like why are you designing like this so how does this work so there was never a set right thing there was only so much that they gave in terms of like course material and then after that my first job um because i also started working in second year, right? So I started first job was in at I think it was AVG Architects in Greenside, um, and it mm-hmm. was um, it was my I was also the the only girl there, so I was the only female there, right? It was a very small office. I was the only female, and um, I was entrusted with um, quite a number of complex buildings. For example, there was a time I was designing a mosque. You know, so that Yo. time I'm like, I've never designed a mosque. So there's there's rules of how you design mosques. Like um, males mm. have to be in a certain place. Females have to be in a certain place. There's a certain way in which you position the building and things inside um, respectfully because also you're dealing with um, a religious space. So when, they, when um, Muslims um, pray, they pray to i think to the east or something so there's there was a lot of things that needed research that i needed to understand that just go far beyond just build the building so yeah avg architects was my first mm-hmm. job um it was during it was during varsity and then after varsity as well mm. and where was music yeah. well, so now you're studying architecture you're trying to build a career in architecture where was music throughout all of this? Were you still playing on the side for fun or? Yeah. Yeah, what were you doing? I mean, I was definitely like, I was from the umbilical cord church, you know? <laughs> so even yeah, though my mom was not, my, my mom had a mind of her own because not somebody kitchen party, you know, the all white jazz and whatever, <laughs> but my grandmother was like very stern with that. So um, because of how we grew up, it was even if you like it or not, like my, even if my mom is not going to church, my uncle would come and say, are you getting So um, because of that, mm-hmm. I was sort of like catapulted into that environment of um, playing, you know, and when I first um, played the trumpet, I was like, okay, this is actually quite nice. And then I wanted to join the band. Also me wanting to join the band was also centered around the fact that we're at church all the time. And then even after church, there are these small meetings that they'll have. So I was like, I need to do something at least to pass time. So it was just natural for me to just join the band. So even when I was at Vitz, you'll find that 
during class, I will have my trumpet case, right? Um, so that after we are done with the lecture, I would go all the way to another branch of my church in Soweto. Oh, wow. Because obviously it was close. So I would go from Vitz mm. to Brie, take a taxi to White City, right? And then get off, go open space, right? Get off at open space, walk for like, I think it was about my 10 minutes, and then join the band. Most most of the time I was early, join the, the band for the 7 p.m. rehearsal. So that was something that would happen... Oh. Uh, I think twice a week. So from my the in, the very beginning of my varsity years, that was still something that I used to do. Okay. Yeah. So so tell me now. Okay, you you now you have your this career that you're building in architecture. When did yeah. you make the leap to doing music full time, and why? So so the music full time. It was I think it was a gradual thing, and it also is. You know, one thing I've, I've come to understand is this music thing is really more a calling, for lack of a better word, than anything else because the ways in which I got here are not natural. I have peers and Khrotman, like Bo Khrotman, <laughs> who've been in the music business for a very long time, who are phenomenal at reading music scores and all that. But why was I picked, you know, type mm-hmm. of like, why is my story the one that is that is being told? So when I decided to start um, Anchored Sound, right, because I started with the choir when I turned 25, because I was like, okay, I'm turning 25, what, what am I going to do? You know, I feel like this is such a, you know, significant age. But I was something in an legacy or whatever. So I was like, okay, as part of a legacy, what can I do? And I was like, actually, let, let's, let's, you know, let, let, let me um, uh, have a rehearsal with these guys on Saturday. And from there, let me see what I can do. So Saturday was my birthday. And then I was like, okay, let's meet Gukere Gang at this time. And then after that, you know, we'll have like cake or whatever because it's my birthday. So we were just jamming. And a friend of mine, um, Yonel Abnana, was there as well um, with the piano. So he was just improvising and um, they were singing. And I was just like, actually, wait. I, this sounds like something that, um, you know, deserves more of a platform than what it's getting you know, right now. And then I started thinking of how I can package it. And being someone who's kind of exposed to how people start Bunga organizations and whatever, I reached out to people, like people that I followed on Instagram or on Facebook who are running NGOs. And I, I sought advice because I also wanted to make sure that what I was doing was I, I didn't want to repeat mistakes of people who started and failed. So I needed to be sure and make sure that I follow the people who are actually succeeding. Ebe, you know, they would give me advice. They're like, hey, you know, you know, you need to write down what it is that you want to do with this. Um, come up with a name, actually. And then after that, try and register it like an, as a nonprofit company. And that's what I did. And then after that, I realized that I loved music more than I did the corporate life, right? And then from there, I was like, actually, I don't want to work in an office anymore. And then I started being more of a freelance architect and focusing um, on, on, on the music. So with the architecture, I never really left it because it is what helped fuel the architecture financially, but I was just freelancing and not working for a set office space. Any yeah. advice for someone who wants to take the leap from like maybe corporate to their side hustle so, or anything? But also be also I'm 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 overly ambitious. Sometimes <laughs> I do these taking leaps and I'm just like but I've often say I don't applied it so um, I would say from a logical sense have a plan like at least know what you're gonna do next month, right? 
with me, I, 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 I faith things out a lot. So mm-hmm. I can leave something today and then be like, I don't know what I'm going to do at the end of the month, right? But with that, somehow I have some sort of faith that there's something even at the 11th hour, you know, something will will, will, will come about. Um, but I, I would say have a plan. So know that if I'm leaving today, at least next month's rent is going to be sorted. And then I can sort of like juggle that um, around and see what my next plan is. But I'm all for don't stay in a place that does not fulfill you emotionally, mm-hmm. spiritually, like it, it does not um, spark your fire, you know, whatever that is. If, it, if, if you're not experiencing that, I'm all about, listen, it's okay to walk. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I love that. Tell, tell, tell us a bit about your experience in the music industry and what that journey has been like. I'm also interested to, interested to hear a little bit about like, what your influence have, influences have been musically. Yeah. yeah. So my, my experience in the music um, space has been, I mean, there's, there's been various sides of it. There's been an element of learning. There's been an element of also having to really show up, you know, and not really be comfortable with, um, you know, having people be like, oh my gosh, congratulations. Because if even with that, there's been the responsibility of, okay, you know, uh, because I feel like before before you shine, you have to polish, right? So I cannot, <laughs> even though people um, may be inspired by what I'm doing, but I'm also by hardest and toughest critique. So mm. um, I would always, like what I've been doing is trying to really be the best at what people are congratulating me on, right? Um, because I realize with that comes the responsibility of knowing that, okay, I cannot fumble the ball. You know, this is not for clout. I cannot be the, you know, uh, we cannot ride on this wave of being the first young black female conduct because people need to see me do the work. And then what is the work? I need to prepare for the work. So my mm-hmm. introduction to the music space was when um, I had my first concert at the Joba Theater. Um, and, you know, at the time I had no management team. I just had a dream and I was just selling this dream to people who I had around me and um, who I mm. envisioned would be part of this dream um, and and would um, sort of like align with my ideas of, of African storytelling. Right. So with that, uh, I mean, it was a very beautiful concert where um, it was the first time I put the entire orchestra and entire um, choir together. Right. But then with that, mm. you also find out that. Um, you know, this whole thing of trying to get sponsors, trying to get people to invest, you know, in in what you're doing, it can get very, very grueling. And what I learned from that is that you must not trust the first person to open the door for you and to be like, okay, I believe you, you know, because um, I had been knocking for so long. So when the set sponsor was like, okay, you know what, this is what you have is amazing, it's phenomenal. I'm all in. We will definitely help you with this. And then um, when it came time to deliver after the concert, it was an entire, um, you know, mess where now sponsor is 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 neither here nor there. So, um, and with that, obviously, yeah. the responsibility of having promised back to that, okay, guys, you're, not only are your dreams going to now come true, where I'm getting access to these theater spaces for you guys, but um, you are going to also have the financial freedom, you know, which has been something that's been mm. missing in this in in, in in the space that you're in, not just musical, but in the art space as as a whole. So 
that experience really broke my heart to the point where 2019, um, I was like, I'm done with music. So even when I did the Judas Puma show Yo. on the 1st of November, um, I did not want to do that show. Like literally, um, when I got the call from, um, I think it was pa- Messia Guneta from Power FM. And then he was like, listen, I got your contact detail- t- details from Bob Mabena. Um, he told me that you, he met you and you're such a passionate young lady. And now we're having a show, um, Judith Supuma, 1st of November, Empress Palace. It's titled The Power of Dreams. And who better to profile and to include in that show? But, you know, you and I was like, you know what? Messiah, I don't want to do it. Like, I gave back. He was like, okay, Fenzo, we'll give you until 4 p.m. today to decide. I was like, okay. 4 p.m. comes, Messiah calls, respectfully so. I answer the phone. He's like, have you decided? I was like, Messiah, I don't want this. I gave back, but I can recommend yeah. four of the best conductors who can set the sh- like, show from 0 to 100. But it's just that they're not female, but I trust them with, like, my entire heart. They're black, they're talented, they're hungry. And then he was like, you know what, hold the line. Judith is on the other line. And I was just like, shucks. So on the other line was um, Judith Supuma. (laughs) So so you understand when someone comes forth with that parental motherly thing and be like, you know what, Dadam, I understand what you've been through. You know, I understand. I've been there. I've even mm. probably been through worse. But something says I need to help you. You know, she had never seen me conduct. Also, when video has not seen me pick up the baton. But I wow. guess there was something about my story that she was like, okay, I'm going to allow you to share a stage with me. And I mean, if you perform with Judith Fuma, that's one of the most elevated stages because um, she's like an Afro jazz icon and legend. So when I did that show and there was um, a, a gentleman from Sowetan who took those famous two pictures that are on the internet like a conducting and then he was like to me, listen, yes. remember, <laughs> we want to publish your story. Someone's going to call you. And I was like, okay, I didn't make anything out of it. For me, I was just doing my job and um respecting the platform that 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 um Mom Judith Puma gave to me. So that Sunday, right, the Sowetan article came out and everything just blew like my entire life from that point onwards mm-hmm. really, really changed. So because of that, it's how, you know, I can boldly say that honestly this is bigger than me. And to just have that platform where I didn't want to even do a a show due to the disappointments of a previous concert and only to find out that actually the lesson is that in that was that more and greater um, platforms were going to be created from just um, me allowing myself to be present to the the powers that be so yeah that has been my experience and um, also there's been a lot of interest in, um, you know, people now who want to speak to me and now they're getting to understand what the orchestral classical music world really is. And they some even wanting to go as far as learning how to experiment cross genres, you know, with orchestras and, and, and um, you know, the choirs and orchestrations and arrangements and all that. So that for me has been um, the blessing part of this journey where um, I've allowed it to be what it needs to be and not really had have a set okay, this is what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I've just been preparing, you know, um, and in that it's also me having 
weekly sessions with my conducting mentor and 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 coach, um, preparing for whatever is coming next. You know, preparing for um, you know the next opportunity, mm. preparing for the next stage. So I've just been in a state of preparation in in this entire period. So yeah, that's I guess in a nutshell my my journey. Wow, that's so interesting. Have you yeah. like did you study anything with regards to like being a conductor? Before, before the whole conducting thing happened or during... Before, or, yeah, before. No, I had never. But what I had seen, remember now, wow. I grew up in my church, there's Buddy Bandmaster. So our bandmasters knew how mm. to conduct, right? But so with that, I understood what they were doing. So I, I knew how to follow the bandmaster's lead, right? But I never thought in any... Mm. Um, in any point in my life that I would be in the front actually leading, you know, the musical tribe, as it were. So that is the only, the, 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 the I guess, reference I have of conducting. But otherwise, I never studied it before that. And now? Well, now, yeah, I'm getting, like, private um, lessons from Herbin Gruten. So Herbin Gruten is, like, one of the best conductors in the whole of Africa. He's the... Um, you know, music lecturer at UP. Oh, wow. He's in Holland currently, so our sessions have been online. Um, so he's been teaching me everything. You know, we've been doing difficult stuff. We've been doing challenging stuff. We've been doing, um, you know, um, pieces that are about 25 minutes long where we go each and every week, page by page, movement by movement, section by section, unpacking um, the various parts of the music in order for me to understand. Because like I said, I have to prepare because in as much as I may be the first Mm. or the only whatever, there's people out there who are waiting for me who are just like okay let's go let's 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 take out the music let's really see what you what you have to show so because of that i've, I've really had to prepare very very hard for for this i guess for this role yeah no the reason i ask is because i'm, I'm just wondering if there's any like young girls out there that are looking to do what you do <clears throat> i'm just curious yeah. to know i just wanted to know like i just want us to let them know how they yeah. can get into this world that you don't necessarily need that training up front as long as you say, like you say, constantly mm-hmm. improving, constant, constantly learning. That's the yeah. most important thing. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So, because also it's, it's important to have mentors because I feel like also mm-hmm. in order to be great, you need to believe in something that is greater than yourself. Conducting, that's why they're not many conductors, right? Those who really do conduct are very good at what they do. And those who are really successful are very good at what they do. So it's not something that's easily accessible, but you'll find it in universities, for example, um, where it becomes like an, an elective, where if you're doing music at your UPs or at your um, you know, University of the Western Cape, you'll have like a component of conducting, but not many people go for it. They'll rather go for learning how to play the violin, learning how to play the piano or even music theory. But con- conducting is a whole nother, it's, it's a beast. With conducting, it's, 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 it's really, really a huge, it's very difficult to conduct. It really is very difficult to conduct because it's, it's way more than just music. It's, it's confidence, it's leadership, is being, um, exposed because you are in front of people who are watching you who are waiting for you to show them what to do so mm-hmm. even that if there's a, a level of you can never really want to hide under you know or behind your your, your instruments so um, a lot of people don't really find that comfortable you know so a lot of people don't really gravitate towards mm-hmm. wanting to learn how to to conduct so yeah mm-hmm. sure. okay wow 
So um, your orchestra mm -hmm. is all black. Yes. Why is that important to you? Representation and access. I was very deliberate with that. Um, there are no all black orchestras in the world, you know, and I, before even finding out, maybe the first thing I, sh I should have done is researching, you know, young black female conductors. But what I did a lot of was looking at orchestras and there was no all black orchestra, even in the United States. And even, even the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, it's not all black. You would think that it would be all black. So that for me, I questioned what the issue was, right? And I got to understand that because there's no access. Number one, as a black child, um, to own a cello or a double bass, you have to part with Mama 30K. And who do you know in our in a black community who can be like my parents can get that instrument for me? So because of that, that already showed you that even if you wanted to join, you can't because you don't have your own um, instrument. So you find that these major orchestras that um, have various kind of players, you find that the players are able to afford um, these instruments, are able to afford to service them, are able to afford to even attend rehearsals um, without it being like, a, if I go to a rehearsal, they must pay me. So they're doing it for enjoyment. If we do something, we think of the socioeconomic um, implications of, I can't just go to a rehearsal, um, how am I gonna get there? So I have to climb two taxis, number one, to get there, return its four taxis, how much am I spending? So those dynamics make you understand why there are no all black orchestras. So that's why I challenged that and I was like, um, in me wanting to or asking the question, I have to be the response to the question. I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. And not only must it be all black, but it must comprise of the creme de la creme. So I headhunted the best musicians. So your orchestras from your, you know, Johannesburg Philharmonic, um, your um, our Navy band, your Army band, your police band, like, all of them, you give them a solo, all of them are, are soloists, basically. That's how good they are. So that for me was also um, to say that I don't want it to just look good. I want it to sound exceptional. So um, mm. that became my assignment of, of, of picking, nitpicking. So each and every person who's a part of it, I literally had to pick. So it wasn't by chance. It was like, okay. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I was like, let yeah. me just hear what, 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 what we're working with here. So yeah. Sure, that's amazing. And I applaud you for doing that and making that change, for doing something about something that you saw happening out there and actually yeah. doing something about it. You know, not a lot of people do that because it can't be easy. I can imagine mm -hmm. that it's actually very difficult. Sure. But thank you for doing that. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. I had to. I felt like I had to. Yeah, I felt like I had to. Yeah. So, okay. Take us through what have been the highlights of your journey, but also, mm -hmm. and I think more importantly, what have been the lowlights of your journey? The highlights of my journey, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't part of the plan. You know, if you had told me that one day maybe I would be celebrated for being um, a really great designer and architect, I'd be like, definitely, you know, this was, I've been working towards this. But for me, yeah. the highlights is knowing that my name is being mentioned in, in spaces and rooms that, I would have never thought were possible, right? And knowing that I have um, the opportunity and the chance to speak to people that I look up to 
and they know who I am or they can be like, oh, yeah, you know, I I read something about you, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm happy to do work with you or whatever. So because of what this journey has created, you know, it has allowed for me to, it, ha- it, ha- it has allowed, I would say, sort of like a seat at the table. But even with that, um, I'm also trying to define um, a seat at my own table. Um, in you know, when you become congratulated and people um, know about you and whatever, they, there's also that element of um, confronting yourself. So I've had to also deal with my esteem issues because now I'm just like, okay, these people now looking up to me. I cannot be like, I can't do it or cannot be like, but why me? So I had to get over those 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 things um, really quickly because I understood that if I um, don't deal with those things, then they are going to, um, kind of thing, then I'm probably going to break even before I get far. And I get various DMs from young mothers across the world who would say that their daughter um, is, is, is playing an instrument or their daughter wants to do X, Y, and Z, and they saw me or read about me, and um, thank you, you know. So wow. those are the things that really bring tears to my eyes when I'm just like, how are people in different countries, you know, profiling me? There was a time when I was online and there's, mm-hmm. um, there's some study material that has my name in it right and i think it's from the uk or something and wow they actually used mm-hmm. my name and my story as a case study of sorts or in i don't know if it was a paper whatever and that for me was wild because i was just like shucks how, how did i even get here so those have been the highlights um of of of, of the career like knowing that people have like um used me as a form of reference to know that it's possible um, and I guess that's also really a major part of why I'm still here and I'm still trying to push through. The the low lights are when things don't work out. Like I said, you know, when when sponsors pull out and um, when you you your heart gets broken. Because I mean, for me, this is something that I I go fully in. I I, I wear my entire heart on my sleeve. So this is not a job. It's really a passion, um, and a, and a more of a like a, a calling type of thing. So when things don't work out, it really breaks my heart. But I've learned from that that it's important to have a team. So now I have, for example, I have a management team. You know, that's not just managing me, but all things that have to do with Anchor Sound as well. So I have people who have me protected and guarded um, so that I don't deal with certain things where, um, you know, it's like you are young, you are black, you are female. Some people would be like, yeah, we'll help you. And then who knows, then before they actually help you, they would want something sinister in return. So we deal with that environment that is just mm. really cutthroat, especially when, um, you know, people see that you really want this to, to happen. So I guess that's the low light. And actually also realizing that there's not much support in SA right um they it really isn't they really isn't there was a lady who sent me a message this morning and then was asking for um sponsorship or something because she wants she has like a group of young kids who um, are taught by this um by this old man how to play and then she was like you know she wants to help this man how do i get sponsorships how do i even get a space um at a theater and i'm just like you know what i'm 
I'm so sorry. I, I wish I could say this is the number, this is the email. Mm. But to be quite honest, did you take off for that they want money? You 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 want to even um mm. use a space for I mean you you, you, you we talk about kids here. You know, anyone should easily be like, you know, here's funding. What else do you need? But unfortunately, no one is available. No door is is is, is available for you to walk through right now. So, um, unfortunately, at times you have to realize that and have those uncomfortable conversations with people and realize that in SA we are very far from um, getting to a point where in Europe they have systems in place that are running and you find that art is a very integral and important part of the country's framework. So it's part of tourism. So the government and various stakeholders will fuel into um, the arts because especially in the opera and um, theater space, that's why you find productions from the 80s are still there. That's why you find Bo, you know, your Carmen's, your The Nutcracker, those are productions, your Swan Lakes. They've been there since the 80s and they're still there because of the support that these productions get um, and, and the value that the leaders see in that. So th- that is a low light that um, has often made me question if I really still want to be in this country. Sure, that is that's so hectic, and yeah, thanks for your honesty on that. Okay, so um, we're at my favorite part of the podcast now, that where I get to ask you my favorite question. Mm. The reason I ask this question um, is because it comes from my favorite quote, which says, "Be who you needed when you were younger." That's my favorite mm. quote ever, and it's something I try to live by because, you know, mm. I, I believe that as much as we can never go back and change time. If we needed something or if we needed to hear something from someone when we were younger, there might be someone out there today that needs to hear the same thing. Yeah. So I want to know from you, if you could go back and talk to younger Ofenze, what would you say to her? (laughs) This is such an emotional question. I would say to younger Ofenze, it's okay. It's okay. Um, most things don't make sense right now, but don't don't stop or um, halt your movements because that's what I struggled with a lot as a kid was that mm-hmm. I, I didn't um, have a sense or a foresight on a lot of things. And because of that, I was an unhappy child <laughs> for the longest time. And um, I just needed someone to be like, Husiami, you know, it's, it's okay and it's going to be okay. I, I really would have said that, yo, Donayam, you are so talented. Um, you are so gifted and you are special. And had I gotten that talk when I was younger, I wouldn't be struggling with believing that. Because I still have, you know, my struggles with actually believing that um, mm. actual offense or what you've done or what you're doing is is actually worth celebrating. You know, actually, you you are very hardworking. Actually, you are um, uh, you, you are very good at what you do. You know, and um, I didn't get that talk when I was younger. So I would have definitely said that to you know um, offense or munyani. So yeah. Wow, that is so beautiful. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> wow yeah 
and thank you again for sharing. I feel like I've said thank you so many times. <laughs> no, thank you. You're, you're no. not to cry because I'm overly emotional. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> it's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Yes, that yeah. is so beautiful. And I think it's so necessary, yeah. like you're saying, to have for young people to be affirmed in that way. It's of course, so definitely. Thank mm. you so much. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, oh my gosh, that's it. So, thank you so much for sharing your journey. This has been amazing. How can our <laughs> our listeners, our audience, get in touch with you, follow your journey, and yeah, follow your your company, everything? So, um, I am trying to really be more active on social media. I'm not really. I guess that's the you know one of the a big vice for creatives for a we are really hardly about posting and stuff and getting people to know what we're doing. So, but um, people need to follow me on Instagram um, at Offensive PT, um, Facebook as well, Offensive PT, Twitter, Offensive PT. And if they want to get in touch with regards to anything relating to projects, whatever, my manager, Vuela um, at um, lemuel.co.za, that's her email. So um, there's a few things that we have lined up that I can't really talk about right now. But um, thank God, you know, people are getting vaccinated. <laughs> the country's opening. <sighs> you know, the country's opening. Yes. <laughs> so hopefully when we move to level two and um, and we move down a level after that, there's there's phenomenal stuff that we, we, we have in, in, in store for the offensive PC brand and also with Anchored Sound. So, yeah. Yes, thank you so much again. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for having me.